Frederick Dard famously said, A smart man is nothing but a failed idiot. Frederick Dard had never been to Washington or spent time on Facebook or Twitter, where we have more failed idiots than even Mark Twain could make sport of. And I wouldn't call any of them smart. Confused yet? Good. Here's someone to make sense of the madness. His name is Dan Newman. Doggone it, I'm confused. I struggle to make sense of the confusion. But you know what? We found out that if we do it together, us and you and others that are like-minded, conservatives that are really conservatives, not the ones that just talk the talk. We're talking about the ones that walk the walk. Actions speak louder than words. All of us get together. We're going to get some good information and some factual information. We've proven we can do it again and again. Our audience continues to grow. People are finding Truth News Network and finding TNN Live, and they're joining us in our efforts to spread real information, factual information. Forget about the wokeism. Forget about the partisan hack stuff. Let's just find what's best for the American people as it's defined in our founding documents and then stick to it. Nail that into the memories and the minds of people that we know and love around us, and then push and find and then elect people that will go to Washington, D.C. and represent that. You know, that freedom, that liberty and justice for all, that equal opportunity for all, not equality for all. There's a difference there. That's what the woke crowd are trying to shove down our throats. Everybody, oh, everybody gets the same thing. And if you've got more than I've got, you're evil. And if I have more than you have, well, it's just because I'm a better person than you are. I know that sounds trite. But you know that's what we're living in today. This society is on the brink of falling over a cliff from which we'll never return if it happens. What is that cliff? It's the same cliff that leaders and civilizations throughout world history have sadly found themselves looking over that precipice and just walking off into thin air, voluntarily in most cases, and it's called authoritarianism, totalitarianism, whatever you want to call it. It's where a very select group of people, or even an individual in many cases, they decide, I'm the endowed leader. I'm the one that will make all the rules. I make all the rules, and I'll make sure that you follow all the rules that I make. And if you don't, you'll be enslaved, you'll be obligated, you'll be stripped of anything that you have simply because... You upset me, or in the case of a group, you upset us. Now, right now, if we took a test and I asked you, write a list of the quote-unquote socialist but really authoritarian governments that you know exist on earth today, how many of them existed that you can remember back in the 20th century? You could make a list a laundry list, and then I would ask you, 
How many of them have not fallen apart yet? How many of them do no longer exist because they fell apart and their people were devastated and there was no way to get over that hump? That's the best way to look at the world and to determine where we are and where we need to go and then make some educated decisions based on facts. Let's do that together. Let's do that today. One thing we're sadly having to do more and more is to point out the egregious top-down ruler class edicts that are being perpetrated on the American people. Every day, something new pops up. We have some very critical things to talk to you about today and to break up and break open for you. That's what we're going to do, crack the egg. And by the way, it's Tuesday. Steve Baker, our resident investigative journalist, will join us today. What's on the menu for Mr. Baker? I can tell you (laughs) he is hot on the trail of some really big things. He'll be sharing those with us, and we'll be working together a little bit today to talk about some things that you need to know that I want his opinion on. So we're going to push those back to the top of our second hour. In between now and then, we love to start the show with a good song. This one, these are some good friends of mine, the Cox family from up in Louisiana, Northwest Louisiana. And they took a really good song written by David Gates, performed by his group Bread back in the 70s. Real sad song. You'll love it. Lost without your love. Lost and all alone. I always thought that I could make it on my own. But since you left, I hardly make it through the day. My tears get in the way. And I need you back to stay I wandered through the night And searched the world to find the words to make it right All I want is just the way it used to be I need you here with me I've got to make you see That I'm lost without your love Life without you isn't worth the trouble of I'm as helpless as a ship without a wind A touch without a fear
Baker, I know, is listening in. At least on most Tuesdays, he listens to the show before he gets together with us our second hour. And he's a great trumpet player. Uh, I bet he has run across these guys, the Cox family, that just did that song. The Cox family live in Shangaloo, Louisiana, which is about uh, 35 or 40 miles away from the TNN Life studio. Great family. Uh, They do a lot of writing for some of the country artists in Nashville. Glad to call them friends of mine. So, what in the heck is going on in D.C.? Oh, my gosh. Everywhere we look, there's something new that's popping up. You know, and we're playing Whack-A-Mo. You remember that old game? You walk in there, and it's got a, a bunch of holes, and they give you a mallet. And when they turn the game on, all of a sudden these heads start popping up. And what you got to do is hit this one on the head and knock it down. And then another one pops up. I guess what the Biden administration is doing is playing whack-a-mo. Of course, by now, unless you're an alien or you don't watch TV or read news or listen to news, you know about this. Guess who was discovered with classified documents in an old office. Well, we know about Donald Trump. He took all of those, you know, those millions of classified documents from the White House to Mar-a-Lago. We saw them spread out across the floor where Trump left them. He's got to go to jail for that. There's no excuse. Nobody, nobody has the right to do that. Of course, nobody will talk about The Obama administration, Barack Obama, when he left office and moved back to Chicago, of course, that's just one place he lives, but that's where his presidential library is going to be. He just unilaterally took two big truckloads full of classified documents before anybody had gone through and uh, determined which were classified and which were not. So we've got the last three presidents, all of them, quote, mishandling 
unquote, classified documents. Well, to be fair, when this all came up, by the way, they found this two weeks before the midterm elections, and they just they just forgot to tell us about it before the election. <laughs> Attorney General Merrick Garland, well, he stepped right up to the plate. He's assigned a U.S. attorney to review the roughly 10 classified documents that were found in an old office of President Joe Biden. Before I dig into the stuff I found out about it, I want you to listen. I want you to listen to a very short report that put this information out last night. Now, let me make clear who the source of the story is. It's NBC News. Now listen to what this reporter says regarding Biden classified documents and Trump classified documents. And then come back. We're going to have a little fun with this. Developing tonight news about the discovery of what appear to be records from the Obama-Biden administration at an office used by Mr. Biden before he became president, some of them classified. Justice correspondent Ken Delanian joins us with the latest. Ken, what do we know? Tonight, the White House is acknowledging that a small number of documents marked classified were found in a locked closet inside offices occupied by the Penn Biden Center in Washington, D.C. And officials say that those offices were used by Joe Biden after he left the vice presidency, but before he became president. And they say the papers were discovered the day before the midterm election and were turned over immediately. All of this follows the discovery of roughly 300 classified documents at former President Trump's residence at Mar-a-Lago. The Justice Department is considering criminal charges in that case. The White House said in the statement it is cooperating with the National Archives and the Department of Justice, and an official told NBC News that Attorney General Merrick Garland turned the matter over to the U.S. Attorney in Illinois, who was appointed by then-President Trump. Did you get all of that? What you just heard was the absolute epitome of an example of cover-up and covering for Joe Biden. Listen, it's it's less than it's it's just a minute and five seconds. Listen to what is said in detail and compare it to what has been said and is still being said about Donald Trump and classified documents. Developing tonight news about the discovery of what appear to be records from the Obama-Biden administration at an office used by Mr. Biden before he became president, some of them classified. Justice correspondent Ken Delanian joins us with the latest. Ken, what do we know? Tonight, the White House is acknowledging that a small number of documents marked classified were found in a locked closet inside offices occupied by the Penn Biden Center in Washington, D.C., and officials say that those offices were used by Joe Biden after he left the vice presidency, but before he became president. And they say the papers were discovered the day before the midterm election and were turned over immediately. They were just, you know, a few that were, it's not like Trump. It was found at that office that he used to use And the inference is, you know, when he closed it up, he just forgot to tell us about those. But what about Donald Trump? All of this follows the discovery of roughly 300 classified documents at former President Trump's residence at Mar-a-Lago. The Justice Department is considering criminal charges in that case. 
The White House said in a statement it is cooperating with the National Archives and the Department of Justice. And an official told NBC News that Attorney General Merrick Garland turned the matter over to the U.S. attorney in Illinois, who was appointed by then-President Trump. Of course, there's a special prosecutor appointed to take on the Donald Trump classified document debacle. So what's a real skinny on that stuff? Well, let me ask you this. Do you know what the Penn Center is? The Penn Center is a think tank that Joe Biden has been affiliated with for a long time. And just so you know this, and this probably will shock you, it shouldn't, but the Chinese communist government has donated millions of dollars to the Penn Center. Well, after all, it's a think tank. They're the people that look at everything that is in existence that it's important to us, like, you know, social messaging (laughs) and the way we communicate and equality. No, wait a minute, we're going to change that to equity so that we all can tip the scales toward whatever political perspective that we think is the right one for us at the time, and so everybody else has got to think the same way. But the Chinese, do you think they bought a little access to the Penn Center, the think tank, to Joe Biden? Do you think anybody there may have ever peeked in on that office where Joe kept this stuff? Under what circumstances were these things kept? They were locked. You just heard the report. Oh, they were locked up. And oh, by the way, were these the only documents that Joe Biden took with him when he left the vice presidency? Well, yes, of course. If there were others, he would have raised his hand and said, oh, I have these over here that I forgot about. (laughs) There is so much that we could spend talking about this. So let's just get down to the the latest, what's really going on there. The classified documents were found by Biden's personal attorneys, not his White House attorneys. You got that? Just days before the midterms, the reporter said the day before, we found out overnight it was two weeks. Two weeks. Now, there is a special counsel, Richard Sauber, Sauber said the White House is, quote, cooperating with the National Archives. So once Joe's attorneys found these documents, they immediately notified the National Archives. How do we know that? Because they said, hey, we just found these a couple hours ago. (laughs) How many days do you think they circled around the table and said, guys, Joe has done it again. We've got another piece of poop in the road that we've got to clean up for him. What do you think we should do? How should we handle this? Let's all get on the same page. (laughs) Sauber said, the president periodically used this space from mid-2017 until the start of the 2020 campaign. On the day of this discovery, November 2nd, 2022, hmm, the White House Counsel's Office notified the National Archives. The archives took possession of the materials the following morning. 
The discovery of these documents was made by the president's attorney. The documents were not the subject of any previous request or inquiry by the archives, and that, of course, is referencing to the back and forth between the National Archives and the Trump folks to try to get possession of everything they thought was classified. Well, since that discovery, the Joe classified document discovery, the president's personal attorneys have cooperated with the archives and the DOJ in a process to ensure that any Obama-Biden administrative records are appropriately in the possession of the archives. Now, where were they? Here's what the Biden folks said. The classified documents were reportedly in a folder that was in a box with other unclassified materials. CBS News sources, however, did not confirm what level of classification the documents were not, nor what the contents of the documents are. You want a little flashback? Let's do a circle back flashback. Joe Biden slammed former President Trump in September on 60 Minutes. And he said, Trump is irresponsible for allegedly keeping classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. How could that possibly happen? That's what Biden said responding in the interview about Trump's documents at Mar-a-Lago. How anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought, what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? That statement from Joe came four months before CBS News reported Monday that a Biden think tank had been storing 10 classified documents, at least that's what they've told us they were storing, at the Penn-Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement in Washington. Global Engagement. Had to throw that in there because of Xi Jinping and China. (laughs) Uh, Am I having fun with this? (laughs) You, You bet it. Representative James Comer, Republican of Kentucky, who's the top GOP individual on the House Oversight Committee, he said he's going to send a demand letter today to the National Archives to learn about the alleged mishandling of documents. We asked the National Archives question for information when they raided Mar-a-Lago, and the only response we got was they referred us to the Department of Justice. That's Comer saying in a statement. In the research we did at the time, being Republicans in the House, every president, every president, every president had, quote, accidentally, end quote, packed documents that may or may not be considered classified, but they weren't rated. Now we find out the current president actually accidentally had classified documents. Is the White House going to be raided tonight? Are they going to raid the Biden Center? (laughs) I don't know. But you know, this is further concern that there's a two-tier justice system within the Department of Justice 
with how they treat Republicans and how they treat Democrats. I know you didn't know that until I just told you that. You thought it was all fair. By the way, anonymous Chinese donations have been given to the University of Pennsylvania. The academic center at the University of Pennsylvania is named after Joe Biden. Wow, wow, wow. So what's going to come out of that? I don't know. One CNN reporter, Jamie Gangle, never heard of Jamie Gangle. Of course, they they are changing um, they are changing reporters at CNN, running them through, running them out as fast as anybody can take a sweater off and put another one on. Anyway, whoever Jamie is, Jamie said that reports that Biden had classified documents from his time as VP in his personal office is a political gift to Donald Trump. And then the stoic of CNN, the one that's there, the rock, the anchor, Wolf Blitzer, he said this. In that 60 Minutes interview Biden did on September 18th, about a month or two before these documents were found in his private office, he said, how could this possibly happen? How anyone could be that irresponsible? That's what he said then. And then they discovered these very sensitive classified documents at his private office in Washington. Now, that's the first mention of the type of classified documents Joe had. They're classified as SCI, it turns out, which is the highest classification of documents. But it's only 10 What kind of damage could 10 documents do after all? Well, it might have the nuclear codes written on them because Joe can't remember anything. He had to write them down. (laughs) Gangle said, look, I'm sure that he meant that. And it also looks terrible in hindsight because here you go. There were classified documents. Here's what we don't know. We don't know how they got there. We don't know who packed them up. Those are things we're going to have to find out. We need to know what's in these classified documents. Yes, they're top secret, but how sensitive is it? Are there sources and methods? Is it contemporaneous information that could be dangerous or sensitive right now? So those are the things we have to find out. Those are the things the Justice Department is looking at. Now, the report you heard from the NBC guy just a few minutes ago that I played twice for you, they rolled this in there immediately when they said Merrick Garland had appointed a special prosecutor in the Trump case and criminal charges are possible against Trump. She had no idea. But the left have to throw that around there. They purposely have to prop up in the minds of all Americans that anybody that is one of those MAGA conservatives automatically by default, those are the people that destroyed the U.S. Capitol and killed all those people. They came armed to the teeth. Those are the ones 
that are responsible for criminal actions. Not those several hundred people that stormed the Miracle Mile on downtown Chicago, those Black Lives Matter protesters, the ones that I saw, I saw, this this nauseates me to even think about, a guy crawling out of a Rolex store window that he had just broken in under each arm, one of those blue Rolex boxes. I know what's in those Rolex boxes. I've got one. The blue ones, a 18-karat gold Rolex president, $50,000 retail. Those people aren't evil. One of the Black Lives Matter leaders that was interviewed as that was happening was asked, what do you think about these people doing this? And she said, it's okay. These are people that are finding things they can sell so they can buy groceries. So it's okay to justify real criminality. Then it's also okay to justify alleged criminality unless it's against a Democrat. Well, well, well. This is the world we live in, folks, and aren't we glad to be here? Once again, if you just joined us, don't forget, 30 minutes or so, Steve Baker's going to join us. He's in Durham, North Carolina, and I'm tempted to just throw his personal address out there so that y'all can go storm his house. I'm joking. Uh, If you don't like somebody and you're a Democrat, you find all kinds of ways to poison their lives. And here we are, conservatives, not even being a registered Republican, which I'm not. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican registered. I'm a registered independent. Um, I'm very conservative. I think Steve Baker falls into the same class of that. I know he's not a Democrat, but I don't, I don't, I don't think he's a Republican either. He mentioned it before, but I forgot. You know why I forgot it? It's not important. It's who you are, not what party affiliation you have. So Steve Baker's up at the top of the hour. We've got some really juicy things to talk about. I haven't gotten from him yet the content that he wants to speak about. I've got a couple of things that even he gives us something so juicy, we've got to stay on for the whole half hour or so. After that, I've got some stuff that I'm going to pull him into. And I'm not saying now what it is because I think he's listening. Do you mind? I was in a good place. And the world changed. Daily uncertainties became huge struggles. I've missed so much, especially the grandkids. A lot happened to all of us. It's okay to not feel fine. Small things each day go a long way. Make time for you. Take Take care. care. Me. Create a healthier relationship with your mind. Search Dear Mind for more. Authorised by the Queensland Government Prison. I pass through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I weave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. 
Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine. Leave behind a better world. Join a community of online learning and find your bright future at the American Women's College of Bay Path University. Getting your college education doesn't necessarily make it so you have different self-worth or you mean more. There's so many different roads you can take. But if you have the feeling that you want it, go get it. The American Women's College is supportive and kind, and what you've created has changed lives, and I'm so grateful that I can say I've been part of it. Enrolling now for September and November at baypath.edu slash future. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. some stuff I want to get into during this half hour, so let's just launch right into it. Did you know we have a Congress in session that's working? Yeah, they got some stuff done yesterday. They passed that House Rules things, and I'm going to get into that in a moment, but uh, I think the most impressive thing I've seen happen so far in the short history of this particular Congress was that the chutzpah And the conservatives, the Republicans, they did something that the American people really wanted to get done. Last night, the House voted to rescind more than $70 billion in funding. Remember that big scat of money that was given to the Internal Revenue Service in Joe's big bill last year because they're going to go after those evil billionaires. They actually use that term. This is to target the billionaires that aren't paying their fair share. So 80-something thousand, 80-something thousand new IRS agents were scheduled to be hired to go after those billionaires. Just take a... um, Just take an idea. How many billionaires are there in the United States, though in Canada? How many billionaires are there? You know, I'm talking about total billionaires, those evil people that don't pay their taxes. Okay. According to the IRS, there are 600 billionaires. 600 billionaires. Uh, Let's do the math real quick. I'm going to do that. I've got my speedy little fingers on an iPhone. Here's the calculator. So we've got, let's just use the round number of 80,000. 80,000 divided by 600. So what that means is Joe Biden's gang, they are really confident that they know what it's going to take to get all that money out of those billionaires. It's going to take 133 IRS agents per billionaire. So what are they going to do? They're going to encircle his house (laughs) and do what the children of Israel did? 
you know, they just marched around the city every day for seven days, blowing trumpets, and the seventh day, the walls, are, are they going to they gonna do 133 of them? Are they going to do that? I'm not sure, but I think the way you find out if somebody's cheating on their taxes is you get their taxes and you get in a meeting with them and make them come up with the documentation to prove all of the data that they included in their tax returns. Now, we know billionaires have CPA firms. And every one of those 600 billionaires, I promise you, their tax returns are already audited. Have you been audited ever by the IRS? I have three times. And it's scary. It really is scary. But in all three times, to be honest with you, I walked away with the IRS owing me more than I paid in previously and thought that I might have to pay them on top of what I'd already paid. This is just nuts. Well, at least this house has gone after it. They named the bill that they passed. It's dubbed the Family and Small Business Taxpayer Protection Act. And two Republicans sponsored it. Adrian Smith of Nebraska, Michelle Steele of California. It passed, by the way, 221 to 210. This is going to roll back the billions of dollars of funding for the IRS that was approved in the Inflation Reduction Act last year. But it leaves in place funding for customer service and improvements to IT services. Customer service. Have you ever had to call the IRS? <laughs> Have you ever tried to get somebody at the IRS on the phone? They're really prompt when you owe them money, but if you're looking for information or advice or an explanation for anything, forget about it. Forget about it. There is, uh, I was going to tell you a joke about the requirements to become an IRS agent, but I won't go there. It's kind of shady. The bill rescinds any funding that could be used to conduct new audits on Americans and funding that would double the agency's current size. I never could understand that. Why, oh why, would we need to double the IRS, the size of the IRS? And one thing that they don't mention that's in that bill, this one kind of scared me a little bit, Included in all that money is funding and the authorization for every one of these IRS agents to be armed when they go out and meet with these evil 600 billionaires. It wasn't about 600 billionaires. They were trying to sell it to the part of the populace that they have convinced that anybody that has more than $1,000 in the bank is evil and is cheating on their taxes, and that's costing all the other people, the ones that don't have that $1,000 in the bank, it's costing them money. We got to go get it. We're the government. We're going to go get it, and we'll turn it around, and we'll do far more with it than they would ever do for the people, you know, you people, you middle-income and lower-class financial, lower-class people. There's another huge travesty out there that's been uncovered. And this one just frosted me when I heard about it. You ever tried to lose weight? Oh, and and by the way, have you ever tried 
to figure out how much weight you're supposed to have, and therefore we all have more than what they say we're supposed to have, so you got to go lose it. So what do you do? There's only two ways to reduce your weight. You've got two ways that impact your weight. Number one is what you put in your mouth, and number two is do you move around a little bit? Because what you put in your mouth is supposed to be fuel, and that fuel is supposed to be burned by doing stuff. If you put more in your mouth than you're burning by doing stuff, guess what happens? You look like me. You get fat. Well, you know, I have a slow metabolism. That is a cop-out. That's a cop-out. Yeah, there are different speeds of metabolism, and there are ways to manipulate it. But do you have any idea? I don't even have a number. How much money is made in the dieting business in the United States? It's incredible. It's incredible how much it is. I don't even have the number, and I really don't want to know the number, but I know there's a lot out there. Uh, anyway, all that being said, this debacle that's out there, you know, they have this, uh, food pyramid thing. They've told us this for generations. You got to do it in this order from top to bottom. And here's how it all works together. Well, Jesse on Fox news has unearthed the number one tragedy of 2023. Primetime's broken open the biggest scandal since Watergate. Bigger than Benghazi, bigger than Obamagate even, bigger than the Fauci funding the Chinese lab that killed thousands of Americans. Nope, we didn't catch Hillary killing anybody. Hunter's still a free man, and we were working on finding Minnie's backpack. But we're on to something big here, and it affects all of you. It's the food pyramid, which turns out is a pyramid scheme. Big food has been buying off scientists to study some of their unhealthiest products, and recommend them as a crucial part of a healthy diet. So now, we have a brand new food pyramid where frosted mini-wheats are healthier than grilled chicken. I swear. Primetime decided to dig into this little study today, and it was done by researchers at Tufts University, a safety school, and paid for by Fauci's cabal over at the NIH, the so-called National Institute of Health, NIH. It claims that foods we thought were healthy, like meat and eggs, are terrible for us and recommends replacing them with junk food manufactured by America's largest food conglomerates. See where this is going? According to these new recommendations, we should moderate our consumption of eggs, cheese, ground beef and rice. And replace them with foods that are more profitable for the food industry like frosted mini-wheats, cocoa puffs, chocolate-covered almonds, and peppermint lattes. What about clean, healthy proteins like chicken, beef, and shrimp? Well, they want us to cut back on that. Cocoa puffs are just as healthier than lean protein. Now the government won't tell you this, but most of these junky foods they're pushing also just happen to qualify for food stamps. And you can't buy healthy food with food stamps, but you can buy as many chocolate-covered almonds as you want. And so the guys over at General Mills and Kellogg's hear this, and they know their money for studies at Tufts and grants to Dr. Fauci have paid off. 
So did they put these scientists up to it? And what about the NIH? Did they sign off on this? Did Fauci? They won't comment. Tufts won't comment. NIH won't comment. Rich companies are paying for fake science so they can get richer and you can get fatter and the government is on it. it. And it's working nearly everywhere. Every school, hospital, prison cafeteria, they all get the same stuff and the same guidance. And it's not going to end here. Soon, we're all going to be eating frosted mini-wheats for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What could go wrong? Nina Techholtz is a science journalist and author of The Big Fat Surprise. Are you shocked by this? Yes. I I mean, I think anybody can recognize that frosted mini-wheats and chocolate-covered almonds are not healthy. And the fact that this new food pyramid, as you call it, um, you know, there were more than 70 cereals named by brand from Kellogg's General Mills Post. I mean, really tells you that that is a sign of an industry-fueled study. Um, But, you know, it's not just that particular study. On a study that I co-authored where we looked at the conflicts of interest on the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee, the experts that reviewed the science for our nation's top nutrition policy, we found that 95% of that committee had a tie with the food or pharmaceutical industry. And over half of those members had more than 30 such ties. One member had 152 ties. And the most common ties were with General Mills and Kellogg's. Again, you see those names again. So these big food conglomerates are stacking the deck inside the government, and they're paying for grants to study these unhealthy foods that then they say are healthy, and then they get recommended, and that's how these people make money. I think, you know, one indication of this is why do in our dietary guidelines do they still recommend six servings of grains every day including (laughs) three servings of refined grains what is the argument behind keeping refined grains as recommended every day plus 10 percent of our calories is sugar why do we still have a recommendation like that you have to wonder about some of the intentions and motivations and interests that have gone into our guidelines so we're told that sugar and processed foods are healthy and everybody gets rich, and we have to buy bigger size pants. And meanwhile, our kids, you know, they're at lunch. They're getting orange juice for breakfast. These are all meals, school meals that are, you know, that are driven by the dietary guideline policy. Orange juice for breakfast, which is like liquid sugar, followed by Cheetos, Doritos, Fritos, and Munchies, PepsiCo products for lunch. I mean, we are setting up our children for failure. I know a guy. I'm not going to say who he is, but he works in the juice industry. And he said there's no juice in that juice. He even said, you know, when you get the pulp, it says with pulp. That's not pulp. It's something else. We got to go. We could talk all hour about this. We got to go. This is better than lean protein. That's the government. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. With all the stuff going on in the world, it's really important. I got to be honest with you. What you just heard from Jesse Waters, that really is important. But that says more than what it says. What do you mean with that, Dan? We heard the story, but what's the story behind the story there? It's this. Our government is for sale. Every department in the federal government is for sale. We're finding out. We knew about it several years ago, but we're finding out a little more every day that the White House is for sale. Our food recommendations are for sale to big food companies. 
What does that say about our nation? What does it say? Well, I can tell you what it says to me, and I think it says to everybody that is in a position of authority in this nation. The blinds are coming off. The blinders are, we're laying them down. We're awake now. Not woke. We're awake now. We're watching you. We're listening. And we're doing things about it. And the horrible thing about that story that we just shared is that I no longer can have frosted mini-wheats for breakfast. Thought I could, but I'm not. Real Truth, Real News, TNN, The Truth News Network. And now, Mr. Robert Goulet reads from The Writings of Bart, the collected after-school blackboard writings of young Bart Simpson. Mr. Goulet. I will not trade pants with others. I will not do that thing with my tongue. I will not Xerox my butt. A burp is not an answer. I will not pledge allegiance to Bart. I will not eat things for money. I will not bring sheep to class. I will not instigate revolution. My name is not Dr. Death. To experience all of Bart's blackboard writings, watch every classic episode of The Simpsons. I will not call the principal Spudhead. The Simpsons, now five times a week. Could switching to Geico really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee all the way home? home. Oh, cool. Thanks, Mrs. A. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Welcome back to the King Value Radio Network. I'm your host, Sandy. And I'm your other host, Carl. Sandy, we are getting loads of calls today about the fresh new $1 Double Crispy Cheesy Burger. Well, hello. With two flame-broiled patties, crispy onions, and cheesy sauce for only a buck, that's no surprise. Jim from Tucson, you're on the air. Yeah, hi, guys. I just want to say I took your advice, went to Burger King, I got a new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger for a buck. I couldn't be happier. Oh, congratulations. Say, Jim, what was your favorite part of the delicious new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger, the Flame Fresh Taste? Well, I'll tell you, it had two big flame-broiled patties, plus it had crispy onions and cheesy sauce, too. It was really delicious. Oh, don't forget the price, Jim. Oh, yeah, and it only costs a dollar. It's probably the best purchase I ever made. Probably, Jim. Okay, definitely. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. There it is. Get the new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger with double the Flame Fresh Taste. So the left has the squad. There isn't enough beer to hold to watch what happens next. You are the Army of Truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. You're the Army of Truth. Steve Baker will be joining us in about nine or ten minutes, and we are going to push him. I'm going to squeeze him. I actually... We have a regular listener, friend of this show, that told me, you got to get Steve to tell us today what it is that's so big and blockbustery. I don't even think that's a term. 
that he keeps telling us about it, and he's the investigative journalist. He's got to quit teasing us and giving us the facts. So we're going to get into that. I've got some things I want Steve Baker to join us with in discussing, and one of them is this. The House passed the House Rules Package yesterday, which every Congress, every House, when they get together, they've got to pass the rules that are going to regulate all the ways that they operate during that session of Congress. And so I've heard all kinds of crazy screaming and hollering from the left about the rules package. 20 House Republicans, you remember those? They initially were against Kevin McCarthy as being the House Speaker. They got a bunch of concessions from McCarthy in exchange for their votes, devolving power away from chamber leadership and back toward guess who? Rank and file members of Congress, as well as they themselves personally, those 20 Republicans. On the 12th and 13th speaker ballots, 15 Republicans flipped to support McCarthy. They cited negotiations they had between McCarthy's allies and some of the holdouts that will give members of the House Freedom Caucus representation on several key committees, cut spending, and schedule key bills for votes. The complete terms of the agreement have not been fully released, although bits and pieces have been made public. The process has hacked off some members of the Republican conference who argue that the agreement gives the Freedom Caucus an unfair level of influence in the lower chamber. Now, the official House Rules Package, which all but one Republican voted for, it passed. It included a single-member motion to vacate the chair. Now, what does that mean? At any given time, any member of the House can make a motion to kick the House Speaker out and get a new Speaker of the House. Now, if you think about that in a vacuum, when you think about the power and the responsibility that is held by any Speaker of the House, it's a bit scary to think that that could happen. Well, we didn't have that. We didn't have that under House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. You're darn right we didn't have it. What nobody will tell you, Nancy Pelosi unilaterally pulled that out of the rules that had been there before she came. Well, maybe not before she came because they had been there for the last hundred years. I don't know how old Nancy is. But she may have been there the first go-round. I don't know. But nobody in the media is talking about that. You're going to have to trust the people that are put on this committee. I'll tell you what. If there's something fishy going on, I'll come out of the skiff and tell you. But a lot of it will be behind closed doors. It'll be classified information. If we find anything illegal or unconstitutional, we'll bring it forward. That's Republican Kentucky Representative Thomas Massey. However, most of the provisions negotiated by the leadership team and 
the Republican holdouts are not included in the rules package voted on by members. It has to do with personnel, how members of the conference will be appropriately distributed to key committees. It's about policy imperatives. There are critical issues that we must address. That's from North Carolina Representative Dan Bishop, who you heard on this show yesterday. McCarthy named Florida Republican Byron Donalds, one of my favorite, to the GOP steering committee over the weekend. That makes him the second Freedom Caucus member, along with Arizona Representative Debbie Lesko, on that panel. The steering committee doles out committee assignments to the Republican conference writ large. The steering committee choose or they chose Tennessee Representative Mark Green, also a member of the Freedom Caucus, to lead the House Homeland Security Committee on Monday. Green beat out Texas Rep Dan Crenshaw, who is a McCarthy ally and staunch critic of the Freedom Caucus. They should be representative, like all the other caucuses, but they shouldn't have more than other members have. We should have equal representation on these committees. That came from New York Republican Nicole Malatakis. I think that's probably where a lot of members are going to draw the line. Another provision, or you got to follow all of this because you've got to get the facts so that when you hear all the noise, you can honestly discern what is noise and what is fact. There's another provision intended to balance our budget within 10 years. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It would freeze the fiscal year 2024 budget at this year's, excuse me, last year's fiscal year levels. This could lead to steep defense cuts since fiscal year 2022 budgets included $782 billion in defense spending, while this year's budget raised that number to $858 billion. Key Republicans like incoming Appropriation Committee Chairwoman Kay Granger of Texas, they're pledging to oppose any defense cuts, although the plank still has some members nervous. We don't want to go back to sequestration. That would be very damaging to our military in a very dangerous world. That's Michael McCall, Republican of Texas. What we need to have conversations on is how that breaks down into defense and non-defense. Those still have to be had. I can tell you it won't be on the backs of our troops. The only Republican that voted against the rules was Texas Rep. Tony Gonzalez. The only one. Now let me tell you what this is really about. By the way, the package of rules, I have them in front of me. Uh, They're 55 pages. There's a lot of meat in there. It's disclosed ad nauseum. And contrary to the way Nancy Pelosi ran the House, every member of the House of Representatives had all of those rules in their hands and every member voted to either accept or reject the rules packages. There is nothing hidden except some of the stuff, the names aren't entered in there because some of the committee makeup hasn't even been determined yet. But that doesn't make for good news, does it? We've got to just make sure that everybody knows exactly how evil 
those Republicans are. And there's much more to come, but let's make that call. One ringy dingy. Can you hear me? Two ringy dingers. Are you you there? (laughs) I'm here. I'm here. Well, you never know when I'm calling you if we're going to be in a commercial break or if we're being live. So you need to be very diplomatic when you answer that phone. Okay, I'm going to be. I'm going to be careful. (laughs) (laughs) Good morning. Good morning. And I just sent you the link. It just went live. The link to uh, that story, the story we've been working on for weeks. The beginning of it, part one, anyway. Well, so it's on its way to you right now. Just so you know, I can't read links, and our <laughs> audience can't hear links. So from our far west yeah. left coast, I have a demand from one of our Uh-oh. loyal listeners that you got to break it down for us today. Yeah. Do we, do we want to start there? Or do we want to uh, start somewhere else? Tell me, tell me where we're headed today, Dan. Well, you sound like maybe you got up kind of late. Uh, <laughs> Did you get up late, well, Steve? <laughs> I don't have, I don't have a get up and a go to bed. I, I don't, I don't set my alarm and I don't, I don't have a specific time. So I think I turned off all of my devices last night at three thirty AM. So yeah. Short night. So I, a short night. Yeah. Well, listen, I want, I want you, I want you to get up to full speed and I think the best way for you to get up to full speed, I may keep you a little longer today than we normally do because I've got at least two hmm. things I want to involve you in in conversation let's go ahead and you break down the story that you have been telling us about you've been working on now for several weeks yeah dan this is this has been a long process uh i have been collaborating with uh investigative journalists at the the epic times uh, his name is joseph hanneman or joe hanneman and joe joe and i came into a relationship um some time ago because we kept cross pollinating uh, in our in our investigations and stories related to January 6th. Since he came on board with them about a year and a half ago, I think it was, that's been his pretty much his primary focus. They, that's his beat, as they say, is January 6th. And it's amazing that you can have uh, at, at any news department, especially one as large as the, um, the Epic Times, which is a worldwide organization, that you can have somebody dedicated to a story that's two years old, but this story is not done. And, and he's not the only one at the only uh, media source who is solely dedicated to the events of January 6th. And in fact, even though he, that is basically his focus and primary um, job with Epic Times is, is all things related to January 6th. Uh, there are other writers at the Epic Times who also write stories about January 6th. So it's, it's a big thing. And I don't know, I don't, I don't even know it, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on or what your feelings are about January 6th, if Americans really understand how big that story still is as it's continuing to unfold, particularly on the legal side, but not just on the legal side with all of the trials that are taking place right now, but in terms of the actual need to know what happened that day. It's like, it, it's, it's not an overstatement for me to say 
that this is on the level with the assassination of JFK, John F. Kennedy. And, and as you see now, here we are 60 years later, we're finally learning more about that assassination than, than we you know, have ever known 60 years later. And here we are only two years later after January 6th, and it's just really beginning the investigations into this. And is there government cover-up? Is there government uh, participation in what was taking place that day? Um, just the same question we asked about JFK, isn't it? Was the CIA involved with that? Was the government involved in any way? Was um, Vice President Johnson involved in any way at that time? All of these questions are finally beginning to be answered. And I hope this doesn't take 60 years because you and I won't be around to see the answers uh, unfold. But I, I hope that we're able to pull the veil off of this thing very quickly. So there you go. There's my groundwork laid. And to, and to say that is that when I entered this process with uh, with Joe Hanneman on, on this story, it was understood that because I'm not uh, a an employee of the Epic Times that I may or may not get a byline on this story. And their editors have a hard fast rule that non-employees don't get bylines, even despite the fact that I've spent dozens and dozens of hours and weeks of research and travel and personal expense involved in this. But I'll be able to springboard off of this with my own uh, stories, my own versions. And, and then, of course, as they say, my uh, my spinoffs uh, related to this story. But here it is. And this is what we have been working on. We have, we have uh, been talking to and working with, um, we can't call him really a whistleblower. And I'll tell you why we can't call him a whistleblower is he was after January 6th, this particular Lieutenant on the United States Capitol police, his name is, um, Tarek Johnson, Lieutenant Tarek Johnson, formerly of the United States Capitol police, because after the day on January 6th, he was immediately reprimanded. He was immediately, uh, suspended some of his actions that day and then he was put into suspension for 17 months and during that 17 months Dan he had a gag order on him so intense that first of all it's hard to believe that they can do this but they can he was during during the hours that a normal person would go to work so from eight to five every day he had to stay home he couldn't go anywhere he couldn't go to the store he, he now he could leave after 5 p.m but what an odd punishment and an odd suspension when you send somebody home. This wasn't a legal issue. He was he hadn't been arrested for anything. He hadn't been uh, he hadn't stood before a judge for anything. But by rules of his business, in order for him to keep drawing his paycheck during his suspension, they told him he had to stay home from eight in the morning until five p.m. Then then during that same period of time, he could not speak to anyone else with the Capitol Police. He was not allowed to have a conversation, phone call of any kind whatsoever with any member of the Capitol Police, including his best friend. He had to go 17 months without being allowed, or was, was not allowed to speak to his best friend, who was then also a uh, Capitol Police officer, who has also since retired, who I have also met with. And so that that is beginning to kind of reveal now to your audience, but everybody may remember this story. I, I would ask everybody to, if you remember the story of the Capitol police officer who put on the red MAGA hat that day and famously was videoed approaching two Oath Keepers and requesting their assistance to rescue 16 
Capitol Police officers that had been trapped inside a rotunda area corridor. I don't, do you recall that story, Dan? Yes, I do. And this particular officer, because he put that cap on, is the officer that I'm talking about who was suspended for 17 months. And that seems to be an overreaction by the Capitol Police and their oversight board or their whatever their in, internal uh, investigative uh, functions are because what he did that day was A, on video, rescue 16 of their own law enforcement officers from a very tense and potentially violent, potentially uh, uh, a, a situation that could have erupted into something far worse than, than what happened. And this was an initiative that was taken by this particular red MAGA hat wearing officer of the Capitol Police. That is the same officer that I'm talking about. That is Lieutenant Tarek Johnson. And Tarek Johnson was suspended for that action. It was conduct unbecoming. He was busted down from lieutenant to private as I said, suspended for 17 months, put on basically home lockdown during that time period. And when all, after going through all of the legal proceedings with his own legal team and that sort of thing, he finally got his rank back and they finally gave him his job back, but they, they gave him, um, allowed him to come back to work, but they gave him an interior small closet office and said, this is where you'll work for the rest of your career. So they were basically taking, put him in a, in a desk job in, a, in an office with no windows in the middle of the Capitol. And as a result of that, he immediately took his retirement. Cause I think at the time, at the, by January 6th, I think he had been with them for 23 years. So he qualified for retirement at that time. So he, uh, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he quit. And then the story begins because we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that this was a, far and away an overreaction and there must be some other reason why this uh, particular lieutenant was was so harshly treated punished drug through the mill had stories written in mainstream media about him uh talking about his suspension but not about the other work that he had done and this is what is absolutely incredible is when the truth finally begins to roll out and this story here in the epic times will lay that out for everyone and I would highly encourage everybody to go read it. The title of the story is Former U.S. Capitol Police Commander Reveals Failures in January 6th Evacuation Response. We're not talking about the evacuation of those 16 law enforcement officers on the Capitol Police. That he famously, single-handedly, well, he got help from a couple of Oath Keepers, which was embarrassing enough considering all the other problems that the Oath Keepers have had and that the government had. Uh, portraying them as uh, this right-wing terrorist extremist group. But the reality is, and the truth behind why they wanted to silence Tarek Johnson is because he single-handedly initiated the evacuations of both the Senate and the House of Representatives that day because they could get no answer from leadership in the command center. And this is the story that we talked about a couple of weeks ago yes. about Assistant Chief Yoganda Pittman yeah. who failed to respond to repeated, repeated urgent calls from law enforcement 
Capitol Police officers that day when when the breaches were happening. And and this is this is something people must understand. Then it doesn't matter who started this. It doesn't matter if it was Antifa. It doesn't matter if it was right wing militia groups that all got together and conspired to attack the Capitol that day. It doesn't matter if this was an FBI plot. It doesn't matter if this plot came from the desk of Nancy Pelosi herself. What people must understand, and I saw it in their eyes that day up close, captured it. I'm talking about as close sometimes as a foot or two foot away from my own face, my own camera, is fear and the terror in those law enforcement officers' eyes that day as they saw coming over my shoulder. Now, I'm standing up there with a camera, but behind me were thousands upon thousands of people descending upon the Capitol, and they had no idea what the intentions of these people were. All they knew was that the frontline provocateurs were violent and that they had evil intentions in their hearts and minds, and they were attacking law enforcement officers. They were injuring law enforcement officers. They were trying to breach barricades. They did. They were trying to breach police lines. They did. They were trying to get into the Capitol. They did, those initial, but they didn't know that there's there's tens of thousands of people that were descending on them from over, you know, my, my shoulders behind me that they didn't also have the same intent. Those officers did not know if they were going home to their families that day. And that's because when they showed up at work that morning, nobody told them that there was even going to be so much as a protest, a march, or even the licensed events that were on the Capitol grounds, licensed by the Capitol Police Department itself for stages and protest rallies and speakers, VIP speakers, including congressmen, they did not even inform the officers on duty that day that there was going to be something taking place at the Capitol that day. All they knew is that at 1250-ish, 52, there was an initial breach on an outer barricade. And then on the radio traffic, we've been breached. We have a breach. We have a breach. And all of a sudden, almost simultaneously, they discovered coincidentally two pipe bombs, one at the RNC, one at the DNC, because the RNC building and the DNC building are actually under the purview of the Capitol Police Department at one of the 16 buildings that they are in charge of uh, in in the, the, the Capitol itself of D.C., that then diminished what they had at the Capitol. It thinned them out. It was a diversion. Those pipe bombs were obviously a diversion because many of those officers had to leave the Capitol, go, one group of them had to go to the RNC, another group had to go to the DNC, and then it diminished their numbers there at the Capitol, already understaffed as they were, and now they're severely understaffed as at the same time, coincidentally, there are Um, individuals showing up with the intent of getting inside the Capitol. So my point is, is we had no, they had no idea what was coming at them that day. But when it started happening, they started making calls. They didn't know what to do and they were getting nothing from leadership. They were getting nothing from the command center. And we know now that both chief of police, uh, the chief of the Capitol police, Stephen Sund, and the assistant, the number two, Chief uh, Yoganda Pittman, 
uh, Yogananda Pittman. They were both in the command center that day. The story goes, in fact, uh, Stephen Sun just has a brand new book that just came out, I think just in the last week. And according to his testimony and according to his story, he was in the command center as well, but he was occupied with the two sergeants of arms. He was occupied calling, uh, you know, the National Guard. He was occupied calling the the Pentagon. He was doing, he was handling all the upper level stuff, leaving Assistant Chief Pittman to monitor, you know, and and this is, this is a true command center. They they have access to all of the video screens, all of the, the capital closed circuit televisions, interior and exterior. They could see everything that was coming, everything that was approaching. They could see on those closed caption television monitors, the crowds where they were coming from, which direction of the capital, how many there were and what their needs were in terms of unit uh, placement around the Capitol to handle those individual barricades. But there's one voice missing from all those radio traffic. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to stop you right there because I want to know who that voice is. I want to know who the they are. Um, I think everybody has drawn the conclusion now that there's a lot of evil stuff that's bubbling underneath the surface. I mean, all these people, these evil protesters, you know, the ones that they did go places they weren't supposed to go. And some of them did some bad stuff. But these people that have been in jail for 18 months, two years, nobody understands that they're has to be a conservative, uh, not, I didn't, I didn't mean to say conservative, but a concerted undergirding of purpose in all of this. And that means there's got to be a they. I want to launch into that, but we're going to take this break. Steve Baker with us as he is every Tuesday. And by the way, that story in the Epic Times, we will go live with it at truthnewsnet.org truthnewsnet.org. It'll be on the front page uh, within 30 minutes of this show going off the air. So if you want to read it, you can go there. Steve Baker will be right back with us. This is getting really, really deep. Starbucks Via Instant is made with the same 100% Arabica beans served at Starbucks. So it's the only instant with the rich, delicious taste of the Starbucks coffees you love and takes only seconds to make. Starbucks Via Instant, the only instant coffee of its kind. Available in black, flavored lattes and iced coffee. In the steel industry, we dedicate our careers to supporting this country. Making products to build infrastructure and skylines, creating jobs, supporting families. And when domestic materials are used, the money stays in our communities. That's what really matters. These people, these places, that's worth supporting. Hi, Tom Bodette. Motel 6's new improved website lets you book a room and save more for what you travel for faster than ever. Even faster than you can find your keys, which you swore were right on the little hooky thing by the garage door where they always are, and we can land a robot on a comet, but we can't keep keys from disappearing. Oh, here they are. 
Left them in my jacket. Don't you hate that? I'm Tom Bodette for the new improved Motel6.com, and we'll leave the light on for you. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. Ah, history. Always will repeat itself. U.S. government <laughs> always repeats itself with, with travesties of all kinds. It seems like every administration throughout our history has had something that came up that just was a little bit unsettling. And so Steve Baker has been talking to us about this one officer that he just got stuck away for a year and a half. Couldn't say anything, couldn't go to work, was drawing a paycheck, couldn't even talk to his friends. Steve, you got our curiosity up. Who is the they in this entire thing and exactly what's going on? <laughs> Well, let's talk. Let's talk about Lieutenant Tarek Johnson first of all. Okay, okay. We, as, as we've already mentioned, he famously was the guy who engaged with those two oath keepers to rescue sixteen of his fellow officers out of um, a very tense situation in the rotunda, and that is ostensibly the reason for which he was disciplined for conduct unbecoming because he put on a red MAGA hat. Now he called that red MAGA hat his helmet because he. He was able to pass through the crowd successfully. He was able to not be um, pushed, shoved, attacked, uh, pepper sprayed, uh, uh, verbally abused by the crowd because he, I mean, it, it was a, it was a great tactical move on his part and he should have been lauded for that. And instead he was punished for that, but that's not what he was punished for. What he was punished for was his hero heroism for the hours leading up to that event beginning as early as about, well, right at the first breach, what happened, which happened at 1252 PM of the outer barricade on the West side, you start hearing Tarek Johnson's voice on what has been previously a sealed radio uh, transmission, which has never been released to the public. This is, we always hear about those 14,000 hours of videotape. There's a lot of video. There's a lot of audio. There's a lot else that has a lot of other documents that have not been released. And the Epic Times managed to secure some of that audio. And what we hear in that is we hear over and over and over again, one lieutenant crying out for help, crying out for assistance. And when he doesn't get it, he takes command authority himself. And basically several times during this radio transmission says, never mind, I'll do it. I'll get it done. And then he gets it done. So he is not only concerned about the safety of his officers all day. So when the officers are beginning to be attacked, he literally starts organizing on his own, the triage centers, the decontamination tents. He's organizing uh, shipments of water from their, you know, their supply centers to bring out there so that they can decontaminate these guys and flush their eyes out. And then on top of that, there's, there's um, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of more people are, are swarming the capital and pressing against these um, uh, just a limited number of 
of law enforcement officers, and he is well aware because he's on the ground, he's boots on the ground, he knows they're going to be breached. He knows because they're not going – in fact, he even says we're not going to use lethal force on this crowd. He says this on the radio, and then he does something really dramatic. He calls for all the M4 units to move inside the Capitol to protect the Capitol itself. Now, when he says an M4 unit, these are the guys on the force carrying automatic weapons, automatic rifles, M4 rifle. He calls for all heat. Now, this is not coming from the command center. This is not coming from the people up in the command center with the ability to see everything, the entire perimeter of the Capitol, including, as I said before, inside and outside. This is one guy on the ground, taking on the responsibility of what should be taken coming from the command center and from the assistant chief. Instead, because she's either a deer in the headlights or because she's been told to allow this to proceed as planned, whatever the case may be, this lieutenant, this young, not young, he's, uh, 40, he was 46 at the time, he's 48 now, 46-year-old Black lieutenant, Capitol Police officer, basically takes the weight of the entire Capitol on his own shoulders. And we hear his voice over and over and over again, up until the point where he finally, the Capitol is finally breached and he is calling in, begging the command center, give us a plan. Give a, he's ordering surge units here and protective units here and hard units here. Uh, you know, uh, he, he's, he's, he's basically become the field general because he can't get help from the command center. And so finally, the capital is breached. And on his own, he comes up with the plan to evacuate the Senate. Now, remember, when I say this, we know now that in hindsight, that most of the people that entered the capital that day, were what I call accidental tourists. They weren't armed uh, in so much as anything more than a, um, a, an American flag or a Trump flag or, or something like that. They weren't armed. They had their cell phones. They were taking selfies. It, it, that's what most of them ended up being. But at the time, the Capitol Police had no idea because they had not been informed from their command what was ha happening that day. And then they were given no assistance. And this is... And this is no conspiracy. This is what we have seen with our own eyes. This is what we've heard with our own ears. And this is what we have learned in direct sit down, personal face to face testimonies from these officers is that they were left alone on their own that day with no assistance from command at all. And that is the next question, Dan. We have to find out the answer why that took place. Why were they not informed? about what was going on in, in the city that day. Why were they not informed about the actual permitted uh, protests that were gonna take place on the Capitol grounds that day? Why were they not told by command, you have X number of people coming up on this side? Why were they not assisted by command in any way on the ground? But this one officer took the weight of all that on himself, and he—he's, it, it, you know, it's like, it's, like a, it's like a movie. In fact, there should be a movie made about this guy because just a normal, average, everyday career officer who's you know spent probably 20 of his 23 years as a Capitol Police officer, you know, answering questions about you know from tourists where to go. This is this is because that's you know most of the Capitol Police most of the time they're glorified uh, tour directors. Sure. 
and and all of a sudden, the building that he has been commissioned and taken an oath to to protect, including the members of our own government, Congress, vice president was in the building that day. It is suddenly all falling apart with no warning whatsoever. And this guy just rose to the occasion. He single-handedly figures out how to evacuate the Senate, what hallway to take them down, which stairwell to take them down. He's running around. He's running around like a, like, like a bat out of hell, finding out where the, the, the um, uh, incursions have not yet been made and what hallways are clear, what stairways are clear, whether or not the tunnels are clear or not. And then he, as soon as he gets the Senate evacuated, he breaks out. And somehow, some way, this guy magically is able to navigate this crowd when other officers that day weren't able to. Other lauded officers, officers like um, Harry Dunn, who's been made you know one of the heroes of that day, and he's anything but. We, you and I, have talked about him before, uh, and and he's made the hero, whereas this guy was made the villain and was disciplined and put away for 17 months. And then I think they thought when they gave him his job back that he would keep his mouth qu- uh, shut and not uh, uh, begin talking. But what happened was is he is he's one of those good guys, and that's just there's just no other way to say it. And 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 he's a lifelong Democrat on top of that. But he and this is this is what he has told Joe and myself to our face. He said the bottom line for me is that the American people must know the truth about what happened that day. And if we don't, if he doesn't do that, if the truth is not known, then, and then this kind of thing is going to happen again. And he wants to, and this is, I'm quoting the, the last line of the article. He says, I hope for justice for all the people that died that day. And after, as a result of January 6th, I hope for justice for all the people that got hurt that day. I hope for justice for all the American people as they deserve to know what really happened and what really happened and what we discovered. And this is very well laid out in this story. And you'll, there's, there's uh, as I said, there's embedded audio, there's edited audio from the uh, acquired U.S. Uh, Capitol Police radio transmissions. Uh, there's actually one of my videos in there that backs up what I was telling you about the fear in these officers' eyes. And then there's also, um, uh, well, I mean, it's, it, you're, you're going to have it on your website, so I just encourage everybody to click on that uh, on your website and, and start going through this. And I'm sure they're going to have questions, and we can answer those questions in subsequent uh, days and interviews. But uh, this, is, this is huge because, and this is only part one, but this begins to open up that gateway, um, that pathway, as it were, that you asked about before. Where, you know, where did this really all come from? Who is at the top of that chain who was up the chain that day calling the signals or in this case not calling the signals well you and i both know the process of investigative journalism it's a process and you don't get everything at one time you get things and then based on the things you get you ask more questions you find out there are more people involved in it and you follow every opening if you want to get all the way through it. I got to be honest with you. In our society today, and when I say our society, I'm talking about you and me, in media, investigative media, there aren't that many inquisitive minds 
that are committed to when anything good happens as well as anything bad happens to spend the effort and the energy to go all the way through it. They'll go until they find the part that they agree with or it makes their particular perspective sound reasonable and they'll stop there. I got to be honest with you. I've got 50 questions that I would ask you right now about what you have said about him and the obvious ones are out there. Let me just fast forward to this. How much beyond what you just told us do you already know? And I don't want you to tell us what it is because I know the process is ongoing. How much do you already know? I I know a lot more that I'm actually legally not even able to talk about yet, Dan. And I think we've talked, I think we've shared it because of my work with um, some of the attorneys during the Oath Keepers trial. I was read into and actually signed paperwork that allowed me to see things that I can't disclose. And that's really tough juggling that in my head, especially as much as I write and as much as I talk and as many interviews as I do about this thing, because I have to compartmentalize and remember what I can say and what I can't say. I remember what I've seen and and think to myself, Oh yeah, I've seen that, but I can't talk about that. Um, so yeah, I know, I know a lot more than I, and I, and I can say, for instance, I know, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, and I can tell the American people that the proof exists that officer Harry Dunn is a liar, that he lied on the stand in the Oath Keepers trial. He lied on the stand at the house, uh, select committee in his testimonies toward that. He lied in his FBI interviews. I've seen them. They were under seal until recently. I saw them before they were um, released to the public. I have, I have seen the video in which he claims that Oath Keepers were uh, confrontational with him and that there was another group that looked like the Oath Keepers that actually did the work for him and keeping him safe from some more violent uh, of the protesters inside the Capitol building. And I can tell you that I have seen all of the evidence with my own eyes, not yet, not yet released to the public, and he is a liar. I can tell you he's a liar. I just can't tell you what I've seen. Well, listen, you and I are close. We can share pretty much anything with anybody. Why don't we handle this thing just like the mainstream media handles it? Somebody will do a story and put it out there, and they'll say, anonymous sources say, And then the next guy that picks it up, he'll say, multiple sources have confirmed. So why don't you do this? We're going to go to our final break. When we come back, I've got something I want to get you to visit with us for a moment that has nothing to do with this, actually has nothing to do with government other than the FDA and the CDC. But why don't you, while we're at break here, why don't you whisper to me the other (laughs) stuff that you know and therefore... I'll release it, <laughs> and it'll keep you from getting in trouble. I'm joking. Because our Langley guys are probably listening right now. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they always are. Steve Baker with us. We're going to wrap up the hour, most of the hour, with him in just a second. But we have this important thing to bring to you. Look, we know that boy's going to ask again, so let's be ready. Fine. I'll be him. You ready? Ready. 
Mom, could you hook me up with a GoPhone? You'll run up the bill, son. Yo, that's whack, Moms. GoPhone is totally different. What? It'll only cost me an arm? Chillax. It has unlimited talk and text. Seriously? Word. Okay, we'll get a GoPhone. Really? Uh, really? That is the bomb. Do you even know what the bomb means? Yes. No. GoPhone, only from AT&T. With unlimited talk to 65 million wireless AT&T customers and now unlimited text to anyone on any network. AT&T, your world delivered. Enrique Santos for Taco Bell. The toasted cheddar chalupa from Taco Bell is back and I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking the same thing. Did they really toast six-month-old aged cheddar right onto a delicious flaky chalupa shell again? Yes, they did. But now it's even tastier. It comes with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink, all in a $5 box. That's right, all that for just a little cheddar. But don't forget, it's back for a limited time. The $5 toasted cheddar chalupa box, only at Taco Bell. So it's this beautiful summer day, and while most guys would say, let's go to the beach, Donnie says, Hey, let's go to Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. They're having a warehouse sale. I say, are you serious? He says, your place needs furniture. And at the sale, you can get beautiful stuff and save 50, 60, even 80%. So we go to the Pilgrim Warehouse sale. I buy a sofa, a love seat, and this really cute dinette set. But the big thing is, we pick it out together, Donnie and me. Maybe this relationship is going somewhere. The warehouse sale at Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. Planet Fitness, through the use of motivating montage music, has made it easy to join. Just remember 10-10-10. For 10 days, sign up for $10 and pay just 10 bucks a month after that. Hurry, you only have until November 10th to take advantage of this Planet Fitness offer. Planet Fitness on 42nd Street next to Shopco. Need more cowbell? Better yet, how about the ring of truth? TNN, the Truth News Network. And Dan Newman. Steve Baker with us here. Before we get away from the story we've been talking about that just broke just minutes ago on Epic Times, Steve, um... I want to ask you this, how much more, how much more is there yet to be disclosed about this story? Just give me a ballpark. I, as I, yeah, as, as I said at the very beginning of our interview today, that this is, we're, we're just cracking this thing open. And as I said, it took 60 years for us to get to where we're, we are with JFK. And, and as, as we talked about, I think last week, as we now know, once the January 6th committee was dissolved because of the old Congress being dissolved with the changeover um, in the House of Representatives, suddenly all of those interviews, 1,200 interview transcripts, videos, and such, all went into the National Archives and will be there for as little as 20 years, maybe as long as 50 years before they can be released to the public. Isn't that amazing? Why do why do they do automatic process? Why do they do that? Just automatically to keep it from the American people? Uh, Apparently, so. I mean, what other answer is there, Dan? Because you have a situation where the January sixth House Select Committee that was, you know, anything but a real committee. Yeah. They they executed over twelve hundred interviews only released to the public the transcripts of 140 of those. They did eight or nine or 10, you know, um, Hollywood produced uh, primetime specials 
where they had their pre-rehearsed uh, witnesses, two or three in each uh, session that, that testified, one of those being Harry Dunn that I mentioned a little while ago. And then um, they lose, Pelosi loses control of the House. They dissolve the committee. Automatically, all those transcripts the, the, of the 1,200, only 140 have been released. And then all of a sudden, overnight, literally, boom, they all go into the archives, and then it becomes um, a just an insanely complex process to get them released by virtue of the rules that have been set up in our government. And, and, and we all know why those rules are set up to be so difficult is because they are doing things every single day behind closed doors in that building that they don't want us to know about. Absolutely. Well, and that's why there's no other reason. That is the answer. We're going to continue to encourage you to come to us, share it with us, whatever you get. And, uh, there's a book in there. You and I've talked about it. There's a book in there. There's a way to make a lot of money, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I want to segue to the other event that I wanted to, while I have you with us to talk about somebody probably that is listening has heard and is excited about this new miracle Alzheimer's drug that Joe Biden's administration just released the fact that the FDA has approved it. Now, I mean, that's a big deal. Alzheimer is probably the scourge of this generation in the last 10 days, I lost my mother-in-law to Alzheimer's. My mother died of Alzheimer's. My dad died of Alzheimer's. So it, it, everybody, every one of us listening, everybody that's uh, in this with us today, there are people very close to us that have lost their lives. Not officially Alzheimer's as the cause of death, but Alzheimer leads to the, um, the conditions that exacerbate because of Alzheimer's that ends in death. So the fact that we've got this miracle drug, forget about the fact that it was just released right about the time Joe Biden's going to announce his run for re-election. And he, of course, he needs a dose or two of it right now. You know, (laughs) forget about that. But he may already be on it, right? He might be. The guy that I am, I said, you know, this is just too good to be true. So I started looking into it. It's called Lakembi, L-E-Q-E-M-B-I. And it's going to be initiated in patients with mild cognitive impairment or mild dementia. And to be eligible for it, patients got to have confirmed beta amyloid accumulation in the brain. That's that stuff that they've been trying to figure out what it was that's common in every Alzheimer's patient that it, it kind of blocks a lot of the transmissions in the brain. The FDA's approval under the, now you're not going to hear this probably anywhere else, they got it approved under the accelerated approval pathway that the FDA has Of course, they use Mm -hmm. it only when it's politically expedient. But they're saying it's an important milestone in four days of research in Alzheimer's disease and reflects our continued commitment to alleviating the burden of Alzheimer's disease for patients and their families. That's from the CEO of the company that invented it. 
and is taking it to market. Now, me being what I am, I said, okay, I'm sure this was extensively tested in laboratory control, laboratory trials. And it was. It was 150 people. 150 people fast-tracked, not years of clinical trials and, you know, bringing in a bunch of medical experts from around the world to do it. No, 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 no. 150 people. And guess what the results were in the clinical trials? It was... Just tell me how many died. (laughs) Let me just read the line from the the uh, press release from the trials data showed that Lakimbi led to a significant whopping. Now that's my word. 27% slowing of cognitive decline compared with the placebo. So what that means is they had 150 people that were involved. Half of them took the placebo. So only 75 people, only 75 people, and what this came out from their very short study, this drug is going to market. In fact, if you want it, you can probably, uh, we were told yesterday, you can probably get it from your doctor starting next week. Now, of those 27%, okay, what about the other ones? What about the 83%, excuse me, the 73%, what about them? There are only seven people that had massive brain bleed. Only seven. Mm. Only. And so once again, we circle back to our federal government. The CDC is involved in this naturally. National Institutes of Health, the NAIAD, which is Fauci's uh, kingdom, of which he has, we're told, left, retired and left. But we hadn't, you and I hadn't talked about this. And so now I threw it out there to you and I want your thoughts, your immediate thoughts on it. I've dug into it and I can pass along the clinical trial information. Glad to do it. What are your thoughts? My initial thoughts are um, that there will be many, many, many people that will beg for this drug out of the natural human selfishness of wanting to cling to a family member longer, cling to their, you know, awareness longer because you've been through it. I've been through it. I remember myself that when my father was first diagnosed, he still obviously knew who I was. He knew what his circumstances were. He wrote in his own journal. He says on the day that he was diagnosed, he said, he wrote in his journal, my doctor told me today that I'm going to go crazy. And, and so he's very aware in the early stages of that. Yeah. yeah. And, and then he continued to journal uh, for another couple of years, maybe uh, until, until his mind just, he basically probably forgot that he journaled and, and uh, it just stopped one day. And then, uh, there was a there was a, a time at one of the family gatherings where he didn't know me any longer. Uh, typically, an Alzheimer's patient will remember the person or the family member that they're uh, most exposed to most often every day. And of course, in this case, it would have been my mom, and that's who it was. So, because I lived the furthest away, I was the first one that he forgot and didn't know me anymore. And then 
subsequently he forgot my sisters and then he forgot other family members. And then finally one day he didn't know who this lady, it, it, my mom became that lady. That's all he, that lady. And, and so eventually then she, then she faded from the memory. Yeah. But I, I know what's going to happen is that despite the fact that this has not been properly tested, despite the fact that that is a ridiculously high number for such a small cohort in the study of adverse effects to be taking place with the brain swelling, brain bleeding, that, such as that, is that, that this will be rushed to market for a couple of reasons. Number one, as you said, there are political reasons for the Biden administration's FDA and CDC to approve this and to do big press conferences and to come out and talk about, you know, because you remember he did tell us that he was going to cure cancer. Oh, yeah. Um, and so we're still waiting for that. But uh, this is a, this is an interim um, uh, medical miracle is the way that they'll portray it. But they're going to take advantage of the basic humanity and the selfishness that we have of wanting to cling to someone longer. And when you're only getting, what, what did you say, was a 27% um, uh, reduction in cognitive decline? Mild reduction in cognitive decline Mild. among 27%. Oh, a mild reduction in cognitive decline among 27% of those who received it. Yes. Fascinating. Well, what, that, what, that about the seven, what about the 73%? You know? Yeah, what about the 73%? Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is what's going to happen is that, A, it's not what it's cracked up to be. B, somebody's going to make billions of dollars off of this. C, there's going to be a political, you know, um, a political gain from the administration by pushing this out into the market uh, prematurely. Yeah. And, and then, as I said before, and this is what's so difficult about Alzheimer's is that, um, you know, when just, just think about when the social security administration was passed into law back in the, the late thirties, the average a, the, the, the average mortality of the uh, age was 48 years, Dan, 48. So that's why they set the retirement age at 65, because as an average, most people would never hit 65, but now we're living to be 78 years. Yeah. It, it literally yeah. increased 30 years. And that's why the Social Security Administration is upside down. That's why it's become a Ponzi scheme itself, because the numbers don't work anymore because we're living longer. And then the same thing happens in this situation right here is that because we're living longer, we are in fact subjecting ourselves by just virtue of longevity. We're subjecting ourselves and our brains to the possibility because they're able to fix us. Think about it, Dan. They're able they're, I mean, look, we always want to villainize, you know, big pharma and big this and big bank, big insurance, whatever. But you know, they have medicine and pharmaceuticals have come up with ways to make us live for decades longer than we would have otherwise. So consequently, sometimes our bodies are outliving our brains. And I know people don't want, I, don't, I know people don't want to think about it that way, yeah. but it's the, it's, it's the reality. And, and if, and if our own selfish desire to hold on to mom, to dad, to grandpa, to aunt Lucy or whatever for, for that much longer. And, but what are we putting them through? in that process as well, because what's one thing we can't see inside that mind when they have lost their cognitive ability to know who the people are around them, what torture is going on inside of them in the, in the, in the terror of the unknown. What are we putting them through by giving them 
some of them, 27% of them, a mild um, increase in their cognitive ability. And then at the end of it all, at the end of it all, those other people, not the 27%, but the other people, when we find out that there are really egregious adverse events, reactions to the vaccinations that will occur, they always do. We know that. And then the end for many of these people is horrendous. It's horrible. What recourse do the family members have against this drug and against this drug company that rushed this to the market? Once again, our government insulates this company, this new company, from any liability because the government chose, the FDA chose, to put it in emergency use authorization status only, which means Mm. they're indemnifying the drug company from any liabilities. So if you want to do something, if you find out the egregious nature of this and it negatively impacted your loved one, the only people you can sue is the federal government. And we all know how difficult that is. Yeah, one of the most frustrating things that we've had uh, since the beginning of the FDA is this 10, 15, 20-year process for approval of a new potentially life-saving drug. But we know why that that process exists, and we know why it costs the the average drug maker a billion dollars to get any particular pill to market. Is it is it because of the safety concerns and making sure a that it's doing what it's supposed to do, and b its adverse effects aren't worse than the the disease itself that it's supposed to be curing? We know that, and I've always been I've always been okay with, and I've been a fan of somebody who is who is given a uh, terminal pronouncement or, or diagnosis of whatever the disease is, of being able to then leap, you know, over that boundary that the FDA FDA has set up and to voluntarily on their own sign away the risk and take an experimental drug if before you re- it, its final approval. If you remember, Donald Trump actually, through executive order, and I don't remember what, what drugs it was, but it was for several drugs to make it legal for American citizens to jump over that on those particular right. listed drugs and try them because they had no other alternative. They were going to die. This was a way that they chose to try to extend their lives. Yeah. Uh, but this one, this one's different. This one's different. I, 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 you know, Alzheimer's hits close to home and this is a different kind of thing. And I, I agree with your initial statement that anyone who would uh, automatically run to their doctor uh, and then run to the government to pay for it. Cause I guess, I, I think this is going to be, you know, tens of thousands of dollars per dose in order to take this. Well, the estimate, probably. the estimate on cost for it's an every other week injection and the estimated mm-hmm. cost is going to be $26,500 a year. And they say Medicare is going to cover it. So what does that mean? That means the taxpayers are going to be paying for it, but it's, it, it's That's going, right. in, it's going in people's pockets I mean, as you said it, we look at the horrible drug costs from these big pharma companies and we forget the years and years of research that they put into it and the huge costs they they have from uh, their research, clinical trials, getting approval, the rounds of 
typically the rounds of approval process that you have to go through with the FDA. I understand that. I'm okay with that far more than I am okay with rushing these drugs to the market, especially when we have hard, cold data, even right now, that says this thing. I mean, come on now, 27% is the number that the drug company is saying. 27% of those in the clinical trial showed, uh, I forget the exact terminology, oh, slight cognitive ability improvement, slight, only 27%. What's the cost? What's a realistic cost? Steve, thank you so much for being here. Love having you. Uh, This show will be posted at uh, Truth News Network, the the show in its entirety, and we'll also, just after the end of the show, we will publish that Epic Times story that Steve has been talking about that broke this morning. Mr. Baker, you are welcome anytime here. Thank you, sir. Have a great one, and we will talk soon. Wow. What revelations with Steve Baker? And there's more to come. I can't wait. I can't wait. Hey, that's a wrap on the show today, folks. Have a great one. We'll see you tomorrow. And Aubrey was her name And not so very ordinary girl or name But who's to blame? That never played in tune Like a lovely melody That everyone can sing Take away the words that rhyme It doesn't mean a thing And Aubrey was her name We tripped the light Dance together to the moon But where was June? No, it never came around If it did, it never made a sound Maybe I was absent or was listening too fast Catching all the words But then the meaning Going past God, I miss the girl And I'd go a thousand times Around the world Just to be Closer to her
would make her stay I have learned to lead a life apart from all the rest I can't have the one I want I'll do without the best How I miss the girl And I'd go Been mine.